Alright, so good evening everyone and welcome. This is Twist Gaming and this is the Great Game Hunters podcast where we go through the ins and outs of Kingdom Death discussing strategy uh, and give an in-depth look at all of the various aspects of the game. Uh, first, let's get some quick introductions going. Uh, as per usual, I'm Matt and I'm joined here with Josh and Fen. Hello guys. Hello, hello. Hello, Robot Matt. Did I go robot-y there? You've always been a bit robot-y. That is very, very true. Uh, so, quick little recap. Uh, what happened last time on the Great Game Hunters podcast? What were we discussing? Uh, we've been talking about the uh, Flower Knight. We kind of went over the hunt and the the actual showdown and the rewards you get from it. Now, we're going to go over kind of the other bits and pieces of the Flower Knight. So, what did we... I saw, I, I missed most of the last broadcast, so I'm just trying to go over in my head what we went through and, like any basic things that we want to talk about, but I guess we don't need to recap that much. Oh, we'll be doing a bit of a recap at the end, I'm sure, because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to, like, the Flower Knight, as in, I think the Flower Knight, you know, for new players, pretty good expansion. For experienced players, uh, maybe you might want to skip it out if you're finding the game too easy. So we'll, we'll probably recap all of that stuff. Okie doke. So what is the first uh, section we're going to be talking about this evening? Uh, we're going to talk about the resources for a bit. We've been skipping this in previous podcasts, but the uh, Flower Knight's resources are a little bit different, a little bit more special, and uh, can do some extra stuff. Yeah, definitely unique compared to a lot of the other monsters' resources. And uh, they seem fairly straightforward, but there's some interesting options that you can do with them. So, uh, Fen, do you want to talk about these a little bit more in, in depth here? Yeah, yeah. if you give me a moment, I am just really laying out my deck. So uh, for those of you who sort of first ever learnt to play the game on Tabletop Simulator, um, I discovered while chatting with people on, on one of the discords that actually the Tabletop Simulator deck has, was not correct for quite a while. So we're going to give you the actual numbers that of the different resources that you do have. Uh, so there are 14 resources in the deck in total. The most common resource is the Osseous Bloom, of which there are four, which is a bone and a flower. All of these are flowers, which we'll explain in a moment. Uh, then the most second most common are the Lantern Bloom, which are hide flowers, and the Cyan Bloom, which are organ flowers. And then finally, you've got two Warbling Blooms and a Lantern blood, a Bud. So to start with, we'll go with the Osseous Bloom. Um, now, all flowers are perishable. Uh, perishable is a keyword that's only in the Flower Knight, and it means you have to use these resources in the this settlement phase. Any of them you have left, you can't store. They're going to get lost. Um, the Osseous Bloom, in addition to being a bone, uh, is also can be consumed in Archive during the showdown to remove all your bleeding and negative attribute tokens and gain the Flower Addiction Disorder. Uh, kind of like a very rare sort of... Um, circumstance you'd actually want to eat one of these but removing all bleeding can save a life under certain circumstances uh i don't think i've never had to consume one of these uh i don't think you guys have either have you not off the top of my head do i remember uh having to consume one of these it's uh, always kind of gone in the back pocket yeah yeah so the, the as i said the deck has five um bone uh then it's also got five hide three of which is the lantern bloom Again, perishable, the Lantern Bloom. Uh, you can consume this and archive it during the showdown to gain three luck tokens and minus one permanent luck and the Flower Addiction Disorder. Uh, well, I've never wanted to um, use this. I mean, I guess taking uh, out a Lantern Bloom for the very last fight of a campaign could be something you could do. 
uh, and we'll explain how you can do that when we get onto the gear. But I don't think um, this is particularly something you uh, you want to consume, especially given that it's hide. And hide is always a premium in this game. Yeah, the only reason I could think of to consume this is maybe it's a survivor's uh, last time out based off of experience or some other factors, and uh, you might as well use it to give them a little bit of a temporary power boost if you're farming something. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of like a last hurrah. Uh, you're right, as well as the end of a campaign. It's something you can you could pop um, just before they go. I guess uh, I can't remember if satchels are... I don't think they're other items, but you could also stack this onto a blue savior when they're on their last sort of legs. So they can do a lot of crit farming against the creature or something. Um, it's it's nice to have an option, but primarily this is hide. Unlike the other hide item, the warbling bloom, um, this one you can plant during the settlement phase to archive it and gain one population. This survivor is born with a flower addiction disorder and a face just like the warbling blooms, which uh, is a, quite a quite an interesting face, quite a troll face. Yeah, I, I think we would just exile those survivors. They're jerks. Well, uh, yeah, um, generally what they do with these, because they got flower addiction, um, is they're kind of fodder for various different things. Uh, and, you know, you're going to get a lot of fodder that you need to sacrifice if you're playing with the flower knight, as we'll discuss when we get onto some of the events. But it's always worth bearing in mind that if you're playing survival of the fittest and your population is struggling a bit, you can hunt the flower knight, farm resources, and literally get population. The only other showdown you can commonly get population from is the spidiculous one and that has its own problems with taken limiting your population and the fact that it's not a guarantee this is if you can farm them out of the resource deck to guaranteed population or to hide uh so real quick uh can we give a recap of what the flower addiction disorder is just in case anyone uh, doesn't know off the top of their head uh, yeah, we were going to discuss it when we got to disorders, but basically it is you can only depart to hunt the flower knight, and once you depart, flower addiction is cured, which means it's removed from your sheet. So basically, warbling bloom people, in addition to having this disgusting troll-like face, uh, which I really wish um, the sprue had given us some model heads for, it would have been great to uh, actually you know do some survivors with this expression on their face. Uh, they... You know they will only hunt the, uh, the the flower knight initially, so could be a problem. Might not be if you're planning to go out and hunt the flower knight multiple times in a row. All right, perfect. Okay, then we've got the sighing bloom. This is the organs in the deck. There's three of them. You can consume these and archive them during the showdown to gain three survival, three insanity, and the flower addiction disorder. Uh, so there's kind of a bit of a drug theme going on with these flowers, sort of, you know, getting a bit of addiction. Um, yeah, three survival and three insanity could save a life. Uh, there are situations that would be very useful. Um, of course, the other thing to note with all of these is if you're a binge eater, uh, you're going to be stuffing these flowers into your mouth left, right, and center. And then the last one, the lantern bird, is a single one. It's the only scrap in the deck. It's a bit different to the others because uh, you can consume an archivist during the settlement phase. You get three endeavors to use. You skip the next hunt and you gain the flower addiction disorder. So bit, a bit more unusual. Um, I'm pretty sure if you do have somebody in the settlement, at least within the returning survivors who has... Um, I've been eating. They would immediately just eat this lantern bud as soon as you get back. So uh, it's it, it, what I'm saying here is, if you're going to be hunting the flower knight, you might want to be doing something about anyone who's a binge eater. 
Okay, so... So, so now it sounds like the uh, Flower Knight's kind of like a drug dealer with his garden. Yeah, well, it was one of the themes of the, the set is kind of impermanence and addiction is sort of what, what some of the themes of the Flower Knight are, along with uh, the Flower Knight itself being a very sort of delicate, eloquent creature. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I think they've done a good job of nailing the theme. Um, and imper- impermanence, as I say, uh, is sort of nicely leads into the first of the story events we're going to look at, which is uh, Sense Memory. Um, Josh, do you think you can grab this? Yeah. Uh, so Sense Memory. Rushing into the settlement, the returning survivors desperately attempt to convey to the others the powerful memories that dwell in the very air of the glade. Even as they pass the settlement threshold, the memories fade and the delicate blooms clutched in their hands wilt. The settlement may pour their inspirations into inspired crafting. Inspired crafting, we have a couple items you can make, and we'll go over those. You want to go over those one at a time now? Um, Yeah, we can just go over the the costs of them. I think would be good. All right, so the uh, first thing up, we have the Vespertine. I can't say it today. Vespertine. Satchel, uh, which is one lantern bloom and one leather. Uh, The Vespertine foil, which is one... A nauseous bloom, a bone, and a scrap. Then the the vespertine cello, which is a lantern bud and two flowers, and then the vespertine arrow, which is just one flower, and then the vespertine bow, which is an obsidian bloom, a cyan bloom, an organ, and a hide. And when you create the bow, a regenerated seed escapes into the cracks between two stone faces. Add neurotoxin mistletoe to the timeline four years from now. And then it has a couple other things you do if you have pottery, sculpture, and Song of the Brave. Yeah, uh, that's necrotoxic mistletoe, Josh. But uh, yes. Um, uh, right. So a few things to note in here. First of all, as you can see, the cello is quite hard to build. There's only one resource out of 14. Uh, and you have to spend totally three flowers. Uh, the Vespertine foil is relatively easy to make, um, as is the Vespertine satchel. The arrow is super easy to make. Um, and the bow is is actually not too hard to make either because Osseus blooms and Cyan blooms are quite common in the deck. And then you get Orgles and Hides as well. Um, just to push this to his extreme, in Lantern Year 5, in one particularly above average run i went and crit farmed the flower knight at lantern year five and built three vespertine bows in lantern year five it was uh, an interesting campaign should we say i can just imagine all of the uh, the arrows flying around and just crits everywhere it was it was a lot of crits it was a lot of bow mastery and um i kind of stopped playing because it was a little bit too silly because let's be honest ranged Weapons are so much better than melee weapons in Kingdom Death. Like, they are so much better. Which I guess is why you like playing them so much, eh, Matt? Just a little bit. Assuming Josh ever gives me the armor for it. Usually I'm just running around naked. Yeah. Um, okay, so there are two additional things that can occur as well if you have certain innovations. Uh, Josh, would you like to tell us about them? Yes, yeah, so the first thing is if you, the settlement has pottery, the returning survivors are able to preserve the delicate blooms whose scents fill the survivor's head with wondrous ideas. Their recollection inspire desolation of scent scent memory. Any survivors may craft the following in the settlement phase. Scent of lost wealth, which is one warble in bloom and three organs. The scent produces strange tears in the survivor's eyes, sharpening their vision of 
potential boons, gain the otherworldly luck fighting art. And then the scent of lost sight. It's one lantern bud and three organs. The survivor's scent sets others' teeth on edge. They gain the leader fighting art and the uh, anxiety disorder. Um, and then the other thing is if you have sculpture and song of the brave, you may perform the bollards of the wallflower, um, which is a cost and endeavor. As the song reaches its climax, the entire settlement is on the verge of understanding a hidden meaning when they mysteriously fall asleep. When they wake, the performance, the performers are found frozen in the moment, snoring soundly as strange petals peacefully sprout from their mouths and eyes. Minus 1d5 population, do not gain the benefits of your death principle, increase the settlement's survival limit by 1. Departed survivors gain plus 1 understanding and plus 3 insanity. Yep. Okay. So, Ballad of the Wallflower. They're not bad if you have a giant pile of spare survivors, which if you play and protect the young, you may well do. Um, the Ascent of the Lost Wealth, as when we discuss the, uh, the fight, the dis, sorry, the fighting arts, is very good. Like, very, very good. Especially combined with sculpture. And, um, uh, I, well, how do you feel about having leader and anxiety on a single character, Josh? What's the anxiety disorder again? I don't know that one off the top of my head. Anxiety is you are a priority target at the start of the showdown, uh, unless you wear stinky gear, if I remember correctly. It's a nice way to have a tank uh, draw attention uh, from the start, but at the cost of not having access to monster grease. Um, I don't know. Don't, it's nothing major for me. I'd, I'd probably echo that. Uh doesn't really sound like anything too special unless we're missing something obvious there Fen. uh yeah i'm uh, i'm just checking uh yeah you start with the priority target and you lose it normally yeah there's there's not really that much i thought it's just worth discussing briefly to kind of point out that for four um for f- four resources is it really worth getting the leader fighting art which is kind of an okay fighting art but it's gotten better with the update to 1.5 so it's sort of, you know, not really, it, not really something I mean to be interested in myself. And I thought I'd see if you guys felt the same way, which seems the general response is, meh. Yeah, it's a pretty resounding meh. So uh, a bit less of a meh because we're going to go on to talk about the warm virus. And before we do, we should probably talk briefly about the sleeping virus flower, um, which we've touched on a bit. You get one of these at the start of the, um, event, um, sorry, at the end of the event, the Crone's Tales, you get one in Lantern Year 5, and also uh, you pick these up each time you beat the Flower Knight, the level 3 Flower Knight. Uh, the, the skier item is a flammable item, so flammable is worth paying attention to because uh, Sunstalkers are a thing. Uh, it gives you plus 1 luck, and it's cursed, which has gotten a bit weird with the new crystal skin. Um, in that with Chris, you can now. Have you guys played with the new Crystal Skin very much? I don't think we've been able to use it since 1.5 updates. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Josh. No, we, we haven't hit it yet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, as I mentioned in the previous uh, first half, yeah, first half of this episode and the previous episode, it's pretty. Uh, 
the Flower Knight's quite good for doing the post overwhelming darkness mining because the level one Flower Knight gives you that space you need. Um, so you're more like to hit Crystal Skin. Now, Crystal Skin, first of all, you can breed it onto new survivors now. So you can just effectively create an entirely Crystal Skin settlement. But the big thing is, uh, Crystal Skin survivors are immune to cursed. So sleeping virus flowers can be passed around between them without actually getting locked in, which is pretty cool. Oh, I didn't know they were immune to curse. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a way of getting rid of the king's curse. It's uh, it's it's one of my favorite changes, um, and, uh, and it's pretty cool. So yeah, sleeping virus flower is, I think, like a really good item. Um, it has uh, it has four affinities: blue in every single direction. So blue is pretty good for luck charms it's a good affinity color for a whole bunch of different things uh but also when you die a flower blooms from your corpse and you add a warm virus to the timeline next year and you are the guest and josh would you like to tell us what happens in that following year all right a warm virus nominate a survivor that can consume to be the host if that's not possible the flower withers and the event ends the host presses the virus flower to their mouth its delicate petals changing colors to match their flesh a cozy and inspired warmth fills their being as they gently push the flower by its stern down their throat. Then there's the table. You roll 1d10 on down their throat. Um, 1 through 5. Unable to channel the inspiration, the host roars into the darkness. Departing survivors each gain plus 1 courage, then welcome the guest. Uh, if you have graves and you roll 2 through 5, um, the host builds a small grave and cheerfully bids farewell. Nominate a survivor with the least hunt XP. They are moved and gain the Swordsman's Promise secret fighting art. Then welcome the guest. So the Swordsman's Promise secret fighting art, in case people don't remember, comes from uh, the hand. And it's if you're holding the sword in your gear grid at the start of the showdown, you gain survival up to the settlement survival limit. Um, okay. If you'd like to carry on, Josh, with the table. Yep. Uh, so six through ten. The host describes the warmth to the settlement. Departing survivors each gain plus one courage and plus one strength token, then welcome the guest. Uh, six through nine, if you have sculpture innovation, the host creates a grand throne from the debris and trash. Uh, complaining it, they announce one day the king will come to claim this. The message sends a ripple of dread through the settlement. Departing survivors gain plus five insanity and a random fighting art, then welcome the guest. I don't think the king's coming to claim anyone anytime soon. We still await the king. That we do. Yeah, okay, so what happens when they welcome the guest? Alright, so welcome the guest. As the flower is digested, a virus enters the host's bloodstream and travels to their brain. The host experiences a state of euphoria as vile genomes are injected into the cells of their prefrontal cortex and pallium. The host feels as it as if a satisfying itch within their skull has finally been scratched, that sensation is the last thing they experience as their original self. The host's brain is rewritten, replacing the sum of their life with that of the guest. The host loses all fighting arts disorder abilities and impairments. Then they gain all the guest's fighting arts disorders, positive attributes, and weapon proficiency levels, including type. They do not gain the guest abilities or impairments. The host may choose to keep their name or take up the guest. Yeah. Uh, so for those people who aren't sure, the pallium effectively is a fancy word for uh, the cerebral cortex. Yeah, this story event, I didn't want, the first time I read it, I'm like, this got oddly like medical definition-y sounding when I was reading it. 
Yeah, it does. Um, all right. So to be honest, I can't remember the last time I actually had somebody with a, a <laughs> with with these um, this happen die. So I tend to hold on to my sleeping virus flowers, like uh, uh, you know, like grim death. So um, you guys have had it experienced a few times. What's it been like? <laughs> that was the time that uh, Donald Trump died, and Hillary Clinton became Donald Trump <laughs> in our King, Twitch Plays King Death campaign. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting when it happens. I mean, obviously losing the sleeping virus flower kind of sucks, but at the same time, it's uh, a nice way for you to hold on to a really awesome survivor and then uh, just kind of keep rolling with it. Uh, Josh, what do you think about it? I think it's really good. And the thing is, like, a level three flower knight, it's not that hard. So, like, late game where you want to kind of keep a survivor kind of, like, have a second chance with them, this is pretty good. Um, this also lets you get rid of, like, if cancer pigeons or something happens, you can kind of just kill the survivor off and uh, have him reborn. Yeah, you can. Um, I mean, you do. You lose all of the the guest's abilities or impairments. Um, yeah, just looking at... Uh, okay, yeah. So this is a way of um, stopping being a, uh, a savior, basically. Yeah, yeah. You will pass... Because... Um, so you pass on your fight nast disorders and positive attributes. Um, I'm not sure where affinities land in that, but the saviors do have like a, a plus one permanent evasion strength or luck. So there's a little something you can do into the new one. You can take your saviors, stick a rare virus flower on them, kill them off when they're close to being done, and then um, pass on their stats and not their secret fighting arts, but anything else they've gained. So, not bad. You could also do... Um... So with uh, Bone Witch, the the plus strength minus what is it? Plus strength minus accuracy. Oh yeah, yeah, good point. And also with Spediculus, if you get the heart transplant. Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's quite a lot you can do, isn't there? So yeah, on the whole, uh, if you're able to get your hands on a lot of these sleeping virus flowers, there's some great tricks you can do, and you can kill off survivors without even having to take them out to a settlement, uh, out to showdowns with stuff like sacrifice or send them scrap uh, gathering in the darkness and things. So it's definitely like, there's some nice, neat things you can do here to improve things. I think you could, if you wanted to play an interesting campaign where you play spediculous and try and get silt surgeons unlocked, and play with the flower knight and effectively just kind of start cheating death and cheating injuries and building up these super survivors with multiple lives. That sounds like a lot of fun. Josh, we should do this. Just have a settlement where we have four characters just to keep you in a reborn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And everyone else is spare parts. Okay, so we did talk about now um, the uh, necrotoxic mistletoe event, which happens when you craft the Vespertine bow. Now, we'll talk about the Vespertine bow afterwards, but uh, let's do the last of the uh, story events by uh, doing the necrotoxic mistletoe. If you could do it to the honest, Josh. No problem. Necrotoxic mix mistletoe. Uh, small buried plants bloom all over the settlement. The airy pollen cluster stance in the lantern light as they fall from the atmosphere above. The ghostly scene is beautiful. The returned survivors feel their hearts lift and gain five survival. As the settlement frolics enjoys the pheromones, a few members begin to feel sleepy, cold nose and covered in pollen. They sit to the side and watch everyone play. Nominate a health-conscious survivor. 
they gain plus one understanding and plus one courage and check up on their sleepy friends. Check up roll. Roll one D10. The survivors, uh, one through two, the the survivor eats one of the berries and within a matter of moments, explosions and fountains of gore and pollen. Some survivors, including the health conscious survivor, are caught in the blast and begin to bloat. Together, they run into the darkness to demonstrate to detonate safely away from the others. Minus for population, the corpses are infected, do not gain the the benefits of the cannibalized death principle. Uh, three through five. One by one, the sleeping survivors' heads, heads heave and split, spilling bloody spe- seeds everywhere. Minus for population, unable to cope, and unable to cope, the health conscious survivor seeks refuge in the entrance, uh, in the entering, smelly of the fairy ring and gains the flower addiction disorder. It's a really gross picture too of the guy's head kind of exploding there. Uh, then last up we have six through 10. The health conscious survivor realizes that their necrotoxin mistletoe has invaded their flesh and they are the source of this epidemic with a heavy heart. They leave the infected survivors never to be seen again. Minus four population do not gain the benefits of your settlement's death principle. But if you roll a seven through 10 and have the sculpture innovation, the health conscious survivor uses tools to scent and research the plants of their pollen as the buds appear on their body. They manage to they manage the invasive plant and gain the Acanthus Doctor secret fighting art. Sadly, a few die from the infection minus two population. Yeah. Okay, so as we're seeing in this and in the previous set of events, sculpture is one of those things that's linked closely to the flower night, as is pottery. So this is all on the kind of the art based off the paint tree. So uh, it's uh, again it's sort of linked into kind of creativity and things like that. Um, now I think it's time that we got on to talking about fighting arts, secret fighting arts, and disorders. Then, so then we can discuss. Um, well talk about these because i think it's fair to say that uh the flower knight has like some of the most impactful things in the entire game absolutely uh so what's the first ones that you want to talk about let's talk about otherworldly luck first because uh, that's the only normal fighting art that the flower knight adds yep absolutely so otherworldly luck uh very straightforward during the hunt and settlement phase not the showdown you gain and whenever you roll on a table you may add one to the result this may not exceed the highest possible result of that table so some people ask this question of how do you get a 13 on the brain trauma table um now the answer is in a combination with otherworldly luck except darkness and the gorm there is one event from the gorm that makes you roll on the uh the brain trauma table and this plus except darkness means a 10 becomes a 13 and that's the impossible result but on top of that like this includes hunt events story events endeavors settlement events everything got one quirk for you guys before we go into discuss this when you roll the 100 for a basic hunt event you're rolling on the hunt event table bit weird eh there's uh there's no 101 result so zenith was actually on stream the other uh last night and he he said it didn't work on the the hunt event table yeah, they just shouldn't have called it the hunt event table. Really, they should just call it, you know, the basic hunt events or something. But I, I, I serves like there's no way it works on there. Um, I think all three of us, I can speak for us all when I say otherworldly luck is probably in the top five fighting arts in the game and one of the prime candidates to turn into a sculpture. Yeah, that's that's what we did in our last settlement. Yeah, absolutely. Otherworldly luck is phenomenal, and uh, it's easy to undervalue it on a first glance, but playing with it now in our most recent settlement uh 
I mean, just for the fact that if you, we had a very lucky situation happen to us where uh, Hunt Event 48 is the, the gambler, and uh, we had two or three survivors with otherworldly luck, uh, again, because we had it on a sculpture and we taught it to a bunch of people. Uh, basically, you just get a free luck, and we wound up getting that three times in two separate hunts combined. Uh, so that was a little ridiculous. So this has the potential to really beef up uh, your settlement as a whole, as well as the survivors that uh, have it. Yeah, it has such a lot of impacts. There's so many terrible things that this kind of smooths through, like settlement events, uh, such as cracks in the ground. You can't roll the one result anymore, which is great, because I'm already on record with how much I dislike cracks in the ground. Um, and all sorts. There's just so many things. Just, just like the necrotic mistletoe, if you if you choose an otherworldly luck health-conscious survivor, then they get plus one to this, so that increases their chances of becoming a Canthus Doctor by 10%. Pretty good. There's so much you can do with it. So one of the things here is that uh, there is a little bit of discussion uh, within our community right now uh, for when you can apply otherworldly luck on uh, settlement events particularly. Uh, if it doesn't name the specific survivor, if it's just a roll random settle, uh, roll for the settlement event, does it still take effect? I think this is one of those ones where short of like a proper ruling, it's kind of from one group to the next. Personally, I'd be the opinion that uh, if it's one of the, you know, you pick a returning survivor to roll, um, it's pretty clear if it's like augury, because that's a survivor in particular, it's not so clear if you're rolling, say, on cracks in the ground or something like that. So, yeah, it's it's a good question. So we, we've we been playing with it where uh, you get plus one to your roll results in your settlement events uh, if it doesn't name a specific survivor, as long as one of them is uh, an otherworldly luck survivor. Uh, yeah. And it's definitely made things a little easier. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, this is where we land in that realm of kind of Adam's intention that a lot of Kingdom Death is choose your own you're kind of playing a role-playing game without a GM, so make your world as you want it to be. Either way, it's very powerful, especially, like, avoiding nonsense on hunt events. Yeah, considering the amount of hunt events where the one is the one bad result, and you're just like, well, I guess I'm not dying. That's good to know. Yep, yep, absolutely. Okay, so we'll do the disorders before we do the secret fighting arts, I think, because the disorders are interesting, but nowhere near the level of power of the secret fighting uh, arts. And also, two of the disorders are linked to one of the secret fighting arts. We just we already talked about flower addiction, which is you can only depart to hunt the flower knight, and after you depart, cure the disorder. It's a very minor thing. Uh, it can be an issue if you play according to the official rules for upgrading your game, which is that you have to put uh, all of the disorders in the get into the main deck, regardless of where they're from, even if you're not including the expansions. So you could have a problem that uh, you have a survivor get hit by this in the Flower Knights, not in the campaign. That's interesting. Um, I would say in that situation, you might want to be like, oh, well, this is a reason to include the Flower Knight and kind of emergently have it appear in the world. Otherwise, very straightforward and simple, but flavorful disorder. Now, the other two, we got uh, Narcissist. Uh, there's nothing more, nothing in the world more beautiful than yourself. Uh, you may not wear armor at the head location. If you're wearing armor at the head location, when you gain this disorder, archive it. 
bit of a high price to have your head armor archived. Also quite scary to go out without wearing it. Um, although the community has found a work, workarounds with that. So it's not a deal breaker. Um, Obviously, uh, can you guys name a few of the ways of getting around Narcissist? Vagabond armor. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what about, so uh, this is a weird one, but what about that one Gorm Hunt event where you wear your pants on your head? Hey, that works. Yeah, that that's in the um, the approach in the level 2 Gorm on the way I believe in. it's the Fetid Grotto. Yes, the Fetid Grotto. Yep, that's something else. Uh, shields, obviously, they'll do the job as well. Mask and accessories. Mask and accessories, correct. So there's there's a number of different ways that you can get around this by uh, uh, as long as you don't wear helmets, actual legitimate armor, uh, dung beetle knight armor as well. Is another one. So it's a it's an interesting disorder because you can work around it with, and there's plenty of options to do so. Then we've got ghostly beauty. Uh, you cannot experience fear if you do not exist. Uh, you double all insanity you gain and double all survival you spend. So effectively. Bonus, double all uh, insanity gain, so brain trauma is rarely going to be an issue. Doubling all survival you spend effectively halves the amount of survival you have compared to everyone else. Right, that's that's really awful, the downfall there, just because survival is very handy. And then even if you were to pair this with something like the uh, uh, rawhide armor, you're only going to be regaining your one, hit, uh, one survival point uh, versus the two that you're spending, right, Fan? Absolutely, yes. Because you're not doubling survival gains, you're d- doubling survival spent. Uh, there are ways again of mitigating this. You could you have uh, access to thrill seeker, abyssal sadist, uh, things like that. Um, but the reason that uh, ghostly beauty is like essential and required is, as I talked about in the previous episode, it's part of the requirements to get in the true blade secret fighting art, uh, which we'll segue into right now. Um, so, True Blade Secret Fighting Art is gained if you have Narcissist and Ghostly Beauty when you beat a level 3 Flower Knight. Um, the specifics of it we went through in the previous episode, I won't repeat them here. But what it does is all swords in your gear grid gain deadly, so increase the crit range by 1. Gain plus 3 luck when attacking with a sword if you have the Ghostly Beauty and Narcissistic Disorders. So combined together, if you choose to keep Ghostly Beauty and Narcissistic, you then have a sword that crits on, uh, well, it's got effectively got plus four luck. So, um, and that's stackable with other luck gain items as well. Such as the, uh, the luck charm and the sleeping virus flower. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, also, True Blade is required to be able to build Griswoldo from the green armor set. Um, just like the Sleeping Virus Flower is required to build Fetosaurus. Um, the Flower Knight is very intrinsically linked with a lot of pieces of the green armor. Um, so learning how to get True Blade is something you want the practice doing. Um, the trouble is the main trigger is the luck of getting the first disorder to get the things cascading down. I love True Blade. It's one of my favorite secret fighting arts because it's ridiculously powerful. If you stick this on an ink sword, which has deadly three anyway, then you just crit all the time. But you've got to, like, you can't wear any head armor. You've got ghostly beauty, so your survival is quite limited as well. I think it's a super interesting and really balanced uh, thing despite the sheer level of power you can get um it's it's one of my favorite fight knots 
I don't know if you guys have had a chance to play with it or not, but combined with the Black Sword and Vagabond Armor and all sorts of other things, it's like one of the best builds in the game. No, we haven't had this in our personal campaigns, I don't believe, uh, nor have we had the opportunity to do this on the stream, right, Josh? Nah, we, we always had it. You get in the ghostly beauty. Yeah, uh, you generally you need to get, I think it's Narcissist will cascade down to ghostly beauty, or I can't maybe see the way around. Hell, let me, I wasn't going to go through this, but it's probably, as soon as we're, uh, Talking about it, we should just go back to the showdown. Yep. So if you have um, Fencing and Ghostly Beauty, you'll gain Narcissist and uh, Permanent Plus or Evasion, and then you will gain um, True Blade. So as long as you have Petal Spiral as well. So yeah, it's, uh, it's you're right. It's getting um, Ghostly Beauty to start with is the tricky part. Um, next of all, we have Fencing, which we talked about last time. That's basically when a monster attacks you, roll 1d10 on a 6 plus, ignore one hit, limit once around. Uh, also, you get to ignore parry when attempting to wound hit locations. It's the main thing you're trying to get from the Flower Knight when fighting it. It's how you overwhelm the Flower Knight's defenses. He teaches you parry. Parry is useful versus a Dung Beetle Knight. And the Lion Knight fencing is one of the best secret fighting arts in the game. Uh, I think you guys agree. Yeah, just for the opportunity as well, if you ignore the parry, uh, just the, uh, when the monster attacks, you roll a d10 on a 6 plus, ignore one hit. Uh, so you have a 50-50 shot of ignoring one hit when the monster attacks you uh, each round. That could be very fantastic by itself. And it works on reactions and all that and traps. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, and you can stack this with other ignore hit abilities as well, such as Ripple Pattern from the Dome Beetle Knight, uh, Block, Deflect, all of this kind of stuff. It's amazing for tanks, but it's also really good for DPS characters who are swinging and attacking. Um, it, it's just like, I could be honest, I could just farm the Flower Knight to get fencing on every single character. I plan to take on hunts and I wouldn't be upset. But last one, this is the one that most people sort of uh, really like to talk about. And it's sort of, while it's lost a little bit of power with changes in 1.5, it's still maybe the most powerful secret fighting art in the game. True Blade might be better, but this one is is better in general terms and easier to take advantage of. And that is the Acanthus Doctor. Josh, would you like to tell us about the Acanthus Doctor? All right. The Acanthus Doctor, you may wear up to three satchel gear cards. When you depart, if you are not wearing any armor for each green affinity you have, plus one strength token, and then add one armor to all hit locations. Spend uh, activation and a flower or fresh acanthus resource to heal a permanent injury. You or an adjacent survivor suffered the showdown. Yep. So satchels, um, and we'll start sort of dabbling away into the gear here. Uh, satchels are a... Item Heavy Stinky with three green affinities, top, left, and bottom. They let you depart with one resource card, and if it's perishable, it's not destroyed. So this is how you bring those flowers into other showdowns to take use of the abilities. But on top of that, the Acanthus Doctor will let you do other things. Um, you know, th- this is so good, being able to cancel permanent injuries. And carrying just fresh Acanthus around with you is great. But the Acanthus Doctor gaining extra strength and armor on top of it means it's sort of, there's this build you can see immediately where you just put satchels and everything else in and try and put as many green affinities as possible. Uh, it's the most obvious way to build the Acanthus Doctor. I wrote in length about this on my um, on my Patreon. I don't think it's actually the best way to build an Acanthus Doctor. Rolling armor is the best, but uh, satchels and everything, pretty good. Main thing I'd say is uh, if you're playing with the satchels, you can't use the Shadow Saliva Shore from the Sunstalker, which is a bit of a drawback. Um, 
But uh, you guys have had plenty of adventures with the Canthus Doctors, so how would you uh, like to tell everyone how it's been for you? Uh, Josh was actually playing as the Canthus Doctor character, but one thing I'd like to, to point out that was actually very interesting is uh, we had the Canthus Doctor get all of the, you know, the armor and the, the plus one strength tokens, uh, and we... Also had the uh, the lonely tree fruit, and I forget which one it is, but it's the one that gives you the condition of you may spend uh, your survival in order to transfer all of your plus one strength tokens to plus one luck tokens. Uh, correct me if I have that wrong there, uh, but we had that ability on our Canthus Doctor, and he just turned into a, a crit monster. Uh, it was ridiculous to play as, and then almost immediately after we got the character set up, Cancer Pigeons came in and uh, infected it so they couldn't uh, regain any survival at all. So it was basically a one-time-use character after that. Yeah, that's the Jagged Marrow Fruit, uh, which gives you Nightmare Spurs. Once per showdown, you may spend all your survival, at least one, to lose all your plus-one strength tokens and gain that many plus-one luck tokens. Yeah, there's other things as well you can do. Um, there is the Gorm Power Potion that gives you plus-one strength token for each green affinity you have, and it has an up-green affinity on it as well. So there's so many combinations you can do with the Acanthus Doctor. I think it's one of the reasons people love to talk about it and play with it, is even though there's one sort of build that the internet has latched onto, there's actually dozens of different ways you can play with an Acanthus Doctor. They're very powerful. They're not the best tanks, but they're very good uh, damage-dealing characters because they're so resilient and tough. Part of that strategy is uh, incorporating a Manhunter with this and getting the tool belt onto the Acanthus Doctor, right? Yes, yeah, that's like the the most common one is the uh, tool belt uh, for stacking evasion and everything. Um, As I said, my preference is actually to go with... um, uh, with full uh, full rolling armor and maybe play with more conventional weaponry and everything, but uh, Leyline Walker is fantastic on Acanthus Doctors. In 1.0 or 1.3, the original one, uh, people used to make their um, make their green saviors Acanthus Doctors because they were considerably more powerful then. Also, thinking Crystal Skin would work nice. Absolutely, yeah. Crystal skin would be uh, ideal on this, um, yeah. And that way, you can sort of stick a, uh, a sleeping virus flower on there when you want to as well, but you don't have to. Anyway, I think we could go on for a long time about this. There's the community's debated this as well a lot, and the Canthus Doctor is one of those points where some people feel it's overpowered. Uh, some people feel it's like just plain fun. Some people like myself feel the Acanthus Doctor is important because it gives people who maybe don't have resources because of lots of expansions or maybe don't have the like experience of building the higher, more unusual combos to be able to access the tougher monsters. Like if you've got an Acanthus Doctor with a tool belt from the Manhunter and a pickaxe, then you've got one of the four characters you need to fight the level three Dung Beetle Knight in one variant setup of the build. So it's nice that the Acanthus Doctor exists, although it is very much on the top end of the power. Fan, I have a question. Have you tried doing a Canthus Doctor with the Green Ring and Gloomhammer? Yep, I have. Yes. Um, It's probably better than the Phoenix Armor Gloomhammer build, where you have the Phoenix Armor tank um, following after the Gloomhammer. But yeah, I, I I have done. Uh, yeah, it used to be difficult to do it because of the tendency to make saviors a Canthus Doctors for the extra stacking, because obviously saviors can't wear other items, which the ring is. But yeah, it's, uh, 
it's a thing to behold and i think if you can get that set up then effectively you've got your like you've got the best tank you could possibly ever have really all right so what shall we go over next Right, so we're going to get on into the gear. We're going to leave two pieces of gear to one side until we talk about People of the Bloom, which is the Replica Flower Sword and the Flower Knight Helm, because they can only be made in People of the Bloom. Uh, And we will look at the others. So we've already looked at the satchel. Um, Outside of the uh, the Acanthus Doctor, the main use of the satchel is to be able to take resources out to use with the Vespertine foil. Would you like to tell us about the Vespertine foil, please, someone? The Vespertine Foil is a weapon melee sword fragile. It's a 4-5-1. It's got a left red and a uh, right blue. Um, at the beginning of each settlement phase, archive this unless you spend one flower resource. Uh, then it has the puzzle pieces. For both divinities, it gains deadly two. Yeah. So, <sighs> Vespertine Foil is... I get what they were trying to go with with this, uh, which is high speed, uh, low... Strength, which is a build they've tried to do with daggers, and obviously the community hasn't reacted very well to it because of the problems with um, reactions and the trap. The higher your speed, the more reactions hit you, the more likely you are to lose um, armor and take injuries while you're attacking, which is bad because then you're doubling up on the damage that you take while attacking the monster. On top of that, the Vespertine Foil's upkeep means that, like... You pretty much have to hunt Flower Knight every other year, unless you're playing People of the Bloom. Um, I've done everything I possibly can over and over to try and make the Vespertine foil worthwhile. Um, even with the Deadly 2 active, it's just like outside of putting it onto a True Blade specialist, where you've got Deadly 2 plus 3 luck tokens, and then even then the Ink Sword's still better. This weapon is incredibly hard to use. Uh, I don't think you guys... Have you ever bothered with it? I want to say we made it once, and we just let it go away because we didn't feel like spending the flower resource because it was kind of just meh. Yeah, it sounds very familiar. It's kind of like... Uh, you know, like I get the idea, which is that you have somebody with a satchel go out and they use a Vespertine foil. Could be cool with an Acanthus Doctor because they could have three satchels with three flowers, so they could go on, like, three hunts before they have to go after a flower knight um i i I want i love the model i love the sculpt of this i built a guy with a with vagabond armor with a vespertine foil in order to just like enjoy this and 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 paint a model up like this i i I can't make this work and i hope it gets rehauled in the abyssal woods it's like the biggest disappointment in the entire flower knight expansion in my opinion i could see the uh Acanthus Doctor, uh, the plus strength at least helping with this a little bit uh, and making it usable. Yeah, it's it's true. It's just the problem is, it's like the crafting cost on this item is already uh, one LCS Bloom, one Bone, and one Scrap, which isn't bad for a sword, but it's quite high. And then on top of that, you're paying an extra one every year. So actually, this could if you built this in Lantern Year 5 and plan to use it for the rest of the game, that in that's like a 28 resource weapon. You know, that's that's a lot. So, Finn, what in your opinion would fix the Vespertine foil? I I don't understand. It, it just I get rid of the at the beginning of each settlement phase archive this and you spe- unless you spend one flower resource. I understand what they're trying to get at, um, but 
it's not good enough. Just the stat line alone isn't that great. I wouldn't want to have it have a better stat line because then it become like a farming weapon that people use briefly and try and generate the resources with and then let it go. I just feel I like the idea and the design, but who wants to pay a flower every time to keep this? Like maybe if it costs an endeavor instead to keep it, you know. Guess you keep it sharp by sharpening it. Like there we are at the beginning of each settlement phase. Archive this unless you spend one flower resource or one endeavor. That's how I'd change it. I actually like that flavor-wise as well. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, we we we've not got to expansions with the the stuff we're doing in the community edition with the rehauls, but I will probably table that when we get to the flower night, if I remember. So uh, yeah, it's so close to just like having interesting design, and and as you said. On an Acanthus Doctor, this could be a very powerful weapon, but it's kind of just a bit much. Okay, speaking of uh, things that kind of just almost make it, but don't quite, we've got the Vespertine Cello, which is uh, a unique item. It's an instrument, it's noisy, it's an other, so saviors can't use it. Uh, at the start of showdown, all other survivors with an instrument in their gear grid gain a plus one luck token. It's got a down blue, and it has a gorgeous sculpt. Like, it's so gorgeous, the Vespertine cello. It looks fantastic. Um, this gives you, like, if you wanted to play a band, which you could do with one whisker harp, one rawhide drum, one gorn, and one cello, um, then, you know, you could. You could, you could go out and you'll send your band of troubadours out, your bards out each year to hunt. But uh, uh, which one of you can tell me first what the problem is with doing this? Noisy. Which means? Oh, I forget the... Uh, is it the worm? Yeah, it is. Big bonus points for anybody uh, who's listening who can immediately remember what the role is for the harvester. I want to say it's like 11. You are so close, Matt. Josh, do you want to give it a go? I don't know it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's ten. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. So close. Uh, yeah, well, unfortunately, the Harvester event um, makes for noisy gear to be quite an issue. Uh, I'm just going to open up my book and go to the Harvester event because uh, this is, again, like something I feel where design space has been limited because of this. So the Harvester... First of all, the harvester event cannot be re-rolled or avoided in any way. The ground quakes and cracks beneath the survivors. A colossal worm bursts from below. Its skin and mosaic are screaming faces. The sight of it is maddening. All survivors gain a random disorder and must play one survival will be devoured whole. If any survivor has noisy gear, the harvester is drawn to the sound and they are instantly devoured. Nothing can save them. The creature is so horrifying that the survivors' brains erase their existence from their memories. Do not gain the benefits of your death principle. So... Um, now that means that three out of four members of your band of uh, uh, merry, merry troubadours, your musicians, will die. Um, another quick quiz: which item of the four would not die? You've got the drummer, the harpist, the cellist, and the uh, horn blower. Which one wouldn't die? The horn. Sax man. The sax man. Absolutely epic sax. Yeah, it's silent. Silent but deadly. <laughs> no, it's not deadly doesn't give you plus one luck. This does. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm not a fan of the fact, like, if this didn't have noisy, it would be so nice. So nice. It, it, I don't think it would even be um, overpowered, because it's quite hard to build, um, and it's taking up a slot to uh, give other survivors plus one luck. Um, 
So I, th- I think it could absolutely be fair. What I think should have happened uh, is when they updated 1.5, they should have allowed survivors of the noisy instrument to sacrifice their noisy instrument to avoid dying. Oh, I like that. Throw it down the harvester's gullet instead. Yeah, exactly. So that uh, they they don't have they they spend one survival, they lose the instrument. So there is still a risk to taking it out, but it's not like every time you roll, you've got a one percent chance of dying. So nobody ever uses instruments except for the Gorn outside of Nemesis fights. So the cello you can make in order to have like fun Nemesis fights with extra crit chances. Um, but like against the butcher, he doesn't really have many locations to crit, so it's not you know it's not ideal. It's another one of those things. It lands with the foil. It's like so close, just a couple of changes, and it would be a fun item without being overpowered. Um, and I, I, I love it. I really love it. I love the sculpt. I love the idea. I love the cello. It's a great instrument. Um, but, you know, i got to put it on the I've only ever built this once, and I'm not really inclined to build it again, and we're going we're gonna to do some tweaks in the future for uh, you know fan edition. Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't we uh, run a band one time? We did run a band one time. It was it was actually a lot of fun doing it. Um, it was kind of quirky, but uh, I like the the flavor of everything as well. But uh, yeah, I just wish that that if the harvester event wasn't there or noisy or even what you were saying, Fen, you could just scrap the instrument to get rid of it. Then I would definitely rock it a lot more often. I feel noisy should be switched out for heavy because I, I could imagine a cello being pretty heavy to carry around. Now, these these are really buff survivors; they don't mind carrying around a cello all day. Yeah. All right. So, what's up next after the Vespertine cello? Okay. So next of all, we have the Vespertine arrow. Um, Matt, you've used this one a few times, haven't you? Oh, more than a few times, Ben. Would you like to tell us all about it? Yeah, as soon as I see it show up in the camera, I'm lagging just a tiny bit. There it is. So the Vespertine Arrow, we've got a 2-6-0 item here. So at first glance, like zero. What the hell? Uh, But, you know, and then it's an arrow. It's a one-time use item. But uh, deadly four. So you're going to gain plus four luck uh, when attempting to use this weapon, uh, this arrow. And then archive after use. Uh, if your attack misses, place a flower patch uh, terrain tile adjacent to the monster. Um, this on a survivor with a luck charm and maybe a sleeping virus flower, uh, it makes for a fantastic emergency crit situation. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, like, it's such a high chance of critting. If you miss, you've got a 90% chance of being able to recraft this. Which is pretty cool, and if you hit, then you know you've got a high chance of of a successful crit. So I, th- I like it using it against um, in com- combination with the cat's eye circle or the wisdom potion hit location control. So you can really try and target a location you really want the resources from. I never noticed this was an archive after use. Not it's you can only use it once, and you have to rebuild it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I actually never noticed that either. I think we were continuously playing with it over and over again, using it like the other arrows. Oh, tut, tut, tut. Well, yeah, it's an easy mistake to make, really. You know, who has time to read everything that's on a card? Hey, hey, hey. I guess it makes sense where if you miss, it turns into a pretty bouquet of flowers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right, uh, so before we get on to the big one, uh, let's talk about the Flower Knight badge, which you get given as a uh, reward. All right, so the Flower Knight badge, item jewelry badge. Uh, this is the first badge we're actually talking about. Uh, it is unique. At the start of the showdown, draw one Tactics card and gain plus one evasion token. 
Yeah. So tactics cards are pretty damn fantastic. Now I got a problem in that I can't quite remember which tactics to come in the Flower expansion. I'm going to quickly duck into my files and see if I've got the record of them. I I got them here. Oh, you do. You got the exact three, have you? Yeah, I got the exact three. Fantastic. Would you like to tell us all about them then? Because tactics cards are amazing. And the mechanics and everything. So first up, we have Lance Formation. Um, so the survivors are kind of like in a T-shape. Uh, while the survivors are standing in this formation, the survivor in the magenta position, so the front leading position, uh, gains plus two speed and plus two strength. Which is, nah, really, that one. It's okay, but not every tactics card has to be amazing. Otherwise, tactics would be overpowered. Next up is the Diversion Tactics. Once per attack, before hit location dice are rolled, uh, any standard survivor who is adjacent to the monster and not being attacked may spend one survival to cancel a hit. This is awesome. This one's amazing. Yeah, stack it with other ways of ignoring hits, and I, I love it. Every time you get this one, you know the showdown's going to be just a bit easier than it would be normally. Especially if you get like someone of Rawhide or Thrillseeker or something like that as uh, your backup. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Then last up is Spiral Formation. Uh, once per showdown, if survivors are standing in this formation, so kind of like one on each side of him, um, you may spend one survival to make an attack that ignores all monster reactions. Yeah. So just to try and describe this, if the monster's facing forwards, uh, well, obviously it's from the fo- monster's front facing, somebody has to be front left. Then on the left-hand side, they have to be at the back square. At the rear, they have to be on the right cheek. And then on the right-hand side, they have to be on the left. Uh, to be honest, this is a pretty damn powerful ability. Um, you know, spend one survival, ignore all monster reactions. Fantastic. I have actually found it very difficult to get the survivors in this position. There's not like many monsters that it's particularly great against. I also am a little confused how it works against the larger monsters. I guess you have to be on each of the corners. Yeah, I would make the assumption that it would be the uh, the corners of the monster bases. Yeah, so everyone's on, like, one of the corners, but they're not ever on the same corner each. So, Spiral. So, quick word on this. I'm assuming whoever has the badge is the one that needs to send the survival for this one. Yeah, when it says you, it normally refers to them. It's like with Reviving Tactics, which I think is from the Dung Beetle Knight expansion. Uh, it's at the start of the Tactics Users Act. Um on top of all this, it's worth noting that, once again, tactics cards are a big part of the Green Armor expansion. It, uh, it The Green Armor you draws a lot of tactics and allows you to use a lot of them, adding to the power of the armor set a great deal. So uh, it's great to have uh, have this. And I love tactics. I hope the more tactics cards, I hope the, uh, the is it the Spiral Knight in, in the Abyssal Woods? Is that the right monster? Or is it Snail Knight? I think it's Spiral. Yeah, it's Spiral Knight. I hope he includes more tactics cards. I hope we get more tactics cards from the Black Knight. You know, I, I think tactics cards are a nice addition. I hope we get other stuff similar, um, which adds an extra layer of positioning and thoughts like that. Much like Synchronized Strike. That kind of stuff is interesting and good. Uh, okay, uh, so I think we should let Matt do the honors on this one, shouldn't we? Matt, do you know what gear cards left? Oh, I think I know which one, but I actually want to take it back one second. I've got a quick question for you about the uh, the Vespertine Arrow. Okay. So uh, I believe it's the Dragon King Quiver allows you to double use your arrows. Uh, does that still count for the Vespertine Arrow? 
you really can't because you've archived it after using it the first time, so it's not there anymore to use again. Uh, and you can't equip more than one arrow in the grid, so yeah, it's it, yeah, it won't work with the devastating. Uh, sorry, the shielded quiver. No. All right, so the final gear card we're going to go over here right now uh, that's not from the People of the Bloom campaign is the Vespertine Bow, uh, one of my personal favorites here. So this is a three-speed, six-plus accuracy, six-strength bow. Uh, does not have cumbersome like the other bows, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, and then it's got range five, deadly, so it's got deadly built into it. It's a very high-strength bow as well, six-strength. Uh, before each attack, you may choose for Vespertine Bow to have slow, so you're going to reduce the uh, uh, speed on this weapon to one, but gain plus four accuracy, and importantly, range nine for the attack. Uh, the range nine is kind of huge, and uh, for those of you that have watched our previous seasons of our stream, uh, we use that to kind of cheese the Dung Beetle Knight trap card at one point in time. Yeah, yeah. So the Vespertine bow is only is one of two bows that doesn't have cumbersome the other one is the sun shark bow i'm of the opinion the Vespertine bow is the third best bow in the game overall but for when you get it and efficiency and everything like that it's number 1 for like ease of access and power versus how easy it is to get yeah sure you get the necrotoxic mistletoe but as we've looked at that pop- losing population not really an issue. You can replenish it in a number of different ways. Warbling blooms, for example, protect the young and so on. And you could also get an Acanthus Doctor out of it, which is a really huge upside. Um, this, I think, the best, fair to say, the Vespertine bow uh, in, sort of results in more discussion from the community than any other item. The general agreement of feeling is that it is just too good for what it is. Um, and I know I've drifted away from using this. Uh, and when I did, I discovered how much I actually preferred the uh, the other two bows I rate higher than that, which is the arc bow from the Phoenix, which is can be a, uh, a range 10 bow, and the um, Inkblood bow from the Sunstalker. My personal favorite bow is the Sunshark bow because it's so unusual and cool, but it's definitely not as powerful as these other three. Yeah, just the fact that uh, if you're playing with the Thornet uh, expansion, you go from the Cat Gut Bow, which is, I mean, it's okay, but you go up to a six-strength bow here uh, that allows you to, with Deadly built in, that allows you to gain plus four accuracy for when you really need to hit something. So all of a sudden, this bow goes to two plus to hit us, you know, so you're going to hit if, as long as you don't roll a one. And then range nine is a huge advantage. And then also the fact that uh, if you've got the resources for it, you can make a handful of these Vespertine bows at a time and only suffer the downsides of Necrotoxic Mistletoe once. Yeah. So if there's anybody out there who is like, oh, I don't think this is too bad. It's not too powerful. Play a campaign and try and craft four of these and just use four survivors with these bows. And don't bother with any other weapons for like the the entire campaign, and just see what it's like. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I mean, I love the Vespertine bow. I love how it looks, the flower design. It's great fun, um, but I do think it can become a crutch for people. Uh, eventually, you should just graduate yourself away from it and use it to help you fight the rarer and more unusual monsters. I do think, though, that. 
interestingly, the gold smoke knight with the way that um, he is designed. The Vespertine bow is not as powerful as it used to be because it doesn't have enough punch for the gold smoke knight, which is it's interesting. Uh, so there is a comment in chat right now to confirm that Frenzy only ignores slow on melee weapons, and that is definitely the case. Uh, so if you do your aiming with this, you're not going to uh, all of a sudden have a three-speed, two-plus accuracy ranged weapon here. Yeah, it's uh, it, it can get around Frenzy quite well, and you just basically get the, uh, the strength tokens from it. Um, what I do like about this is they actually took this design and of the aimed slow shot and put it onto the catgut bow which was a nice improvement for the catgut bow in 1.5 although the catgut bow kind of didn't need any extra improvements but it was nice to see that well they neutered it a little bit for the catgut bow i believe right they it doesn't increase your range it just increases your accuracy yeah it's not as powerful it's a more more balanced kind of version but i like that they took out the good part of the design which is having the options of two different fire modes because it's nice to have more options to play with okay um so there's a lot we could talk about with the vespertine bow and i think i'll kind of during the wrap-up section i've got quite a lot of comments to talk about the flower knight and bits and pieces on it Uh, so it's probably worth stopping there and we move on to talk about people of the bloom uh one second let's talk about uh, pedal spiral real quick the one innovation because that's the only thing we did not hit pedal spiral i love pedal spiral go on tell us all about it all right so pedal spiral is an innovation music forbidden dance consequence uh regardless of the hunt xp survivors may select sword for the weapon proficiency so you can actually get what uh, sword weapon proficiency started at age zero uh then for one endeavor you can trace petals and roll a d10 lose one flower resource if you do gain the flower addiction disorder and roll again otherwise nothing happens that's on a one through three a four through five, you gain two survival and one understanding. Six plus, you gain plus one level and sword proficiency level. Yeah, uh, it's it's solid. Like sword proficiency is kind of, I think, middle of the table in power. It's it's decent, but it's not as good as the top ones, which is like axe, bow, grand weapon, katar, fist and tooth, shield. But it's definitely better. Oh, and spear. But it's definitely better than like whip and dagger. Um, it's kind of on par with the new club. I, I've actually come around on the new club, and I think it is, it's genuinely a very good um, skill type in itself. But uh, it, it's interesting and good that you've got another way of ramping up survivors if you're struggling to get family. Okay, uh, what about you guys? Do you use Petal Spiral very much? You know, I don't think we've ever really gotten anyone competent with a sword at all. Uh, so I'm going to say no that we really never use swords. Oh, that's a bit of a shame, really. We tend to gravitate more towards... Well, I'm, I'm usually bow. Josh tends to gravitate towards uh, shields and spears. Uh, and, you know, everyone loves getting fist and tooth up as well. And uh, Grand Weapon seems to be our other main go-to. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you ready to start talking about the people of Bloom? Yeah, so um, one of the things I will say before we go into this in detail is on Board Game Geek, you will find a file from a chap who has done like settlement locations for um, people of the Bloom and for people of the Skull. Uh, I printed off the Forest Gate one that he did. It makes a huge difference to play this campaign. Um, so I've got all of the details on one nice little settlement location. And I have played People of the Bloom a couple of times in 
each of the different campaigns to try it out. I've played it in People of the Sun, People of the Stars, uh, and People of the Lantern. Obviously, the lore feels a bit weird when you play it in People of the Sun and the Stars, but um, it's it's fun. So, right. Basically, first of all, um, all survivors are born with a permanent plus one luck, a permanent plus one green affinity, and minus two permanent red affinities. So it's very hard to activate red affinity items, um, but it's easier to activate green affinity ones. And a permanent plus one luck is very powerful. Uh, additionally, during the development step of the settlement phase, you may trigger sense memory. So you can do the sense memory crafting whenever you like. Uh, you cannot hunt the flower knight. You cannot gain the flower addiction disorder. And on lantern years 5, 10, 15, and 20, you lose a population and you gain the sleeping virus flower rare gear card in exchange. In addition to that, you are allowed to craft the Flower Knight Helm and the Replica Flower Knight Sword. Now, the Flower Knight Helm requires faith. It costs two bone, one skull, and one lantern bloom. And the Replica Flower Sword costs one osseous bloom, one flower, and one iron, and requires faith, innovation, any of them, and sculpture. Now, you might be like, well, how do I get those blooms? Well, the final thing that you can do is people of the bloom is you're allowed to do a forest run for one endeavor you can exchange any number of monster resources for that number of random flower resources um before we just talk about this a bit more that reminds me um if you are playing with the flower knight and you're hunting it in normal campaigns and you have spare flowers you don't know what to do with you can turn them into permanent basic resources via the stone circle uh it's something like i can't remember it's like a ritual of some kind monster ritual maybe yeah you need a forbidden dance i believe that's it, yeah. So the perishable downside on flowers is not uh, particularly hard to deal with as long as you've got a stone circle. And to be honest, given how good Screaming Armour is now, I think all of us are making stone circles. Uh, so yeah, uh, right. Two pieces of gear. The Flower Knight Helm uh, is armour heavy. Boo, heavy. It's three armour to the head. It gives you plus one accuracy. It has a down blue and the affinity ability on it is activated via uh, puzzle blue and three green, and it's while you're being attacked, the monster has minus one speed, which is a pretty good ability. Um, overall, you know, that's kind of solid. I mean, how do you guys feel about this? It's, it's all right. I wish it had, like, the outfit keyword um, to mix with, like, the uh, the lantern armor set or something. Yeah, nail on the head straight away. The problem with the Flower Knight Helm is that currently uh, it, it's got armor, it's got heavy, it's got no material keywords, it's got no outfit, it's not got accessory. You can't, it doesn't have any um, special armor sets that comes with nothing. You, you don't end up crafting this. That's going to change because we've already seen there are sculpts for full Flower Knight armor in the Abyssal Woods campaign. But this is one of the aspects where the uh, people of the Bloomfield is underwhelming. You've got a cool, unique helmet, cool, unique uh, ability and armor set. Even the activation on this, it works pretty well with lantern armor. It works pretty well with screaming armor. It's fairly easy to do with um, leather as well. But you don't get the armor set bonuses, which is a real shame. So, yeah, I think this should have had outfit, as you pointed out, Josh. And then it should have had, like, leather, bone, and metal uh, for its um, keywords. Okay. And then we have the Replica Flower Sword, which is a copy of the Flower Knight Sword in smaller style. Uh, it is a weapon, melee, grand, and sword, which is – there's not many of those. The Perfect Slayer's one as well. 
Uh, it has two speed, six plus accuracy, and six strength. Devastating one, you cannot dodge. Uh, it has a left blue green affinity, a up red, and a right red. And then its activated ability, if you manage to get the affinity set up, costs one green, puzzle, plus two greens, and a red. So here's the thing, that because you've got minus two red affinities, it's actually a requirement for three red affinities. So you need, in order to activate this fully, you need three green and three red affinities in your grid. Well, technically two green, one, and three red, right? Because you get plus one permanent green affinity? Correct. Yes, you're right there. I'd forgotten about that one. Uh, yeah, so this is like a lot of affinities to try and stack up to be able to get this active easier with Cycloidarm than anything else. But the not being able to dodge downside is pretty big. Yeah, that's a, a huge downside. Um, I can see maybe if it gave you more than one evasion for activating it, that that would be a little bit more manageable. But not being able to dodge anything really sucks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can get around it again by building lots of evasion. Uh Having shields, having fencing, um, which actually no, you can't get fencing in People of the Bloom because you can't fight the Flower Knight to get it, and he won't, he won't teach your people anything. Um, but other things like uh, rolling armor again has negation abilities, so you can make this work. It's a lot of effort and quite difficult. I feel that maybe this should have been like um, three greens and a blue to be activated rather than a red, um, but then maybe. It, been too powerful who knows i don't feel like people of bloom was a very well tested campaign it was kind of added in as a fun variant it seems and it's not super balanced which is why the abyssal woods is being made into a thing uh as an aside my original um like custom campaign i was working on for myself was going to be a people of the blue expanded people of the bloom campaign i ended up abandoning it when i heard about the abyssal woods expansion because they were looking to do a lot of the things that i had already like hashed out and designed so I shelved it, and I'm grabbing the designs, the good parts, and using them for other custom content that I'm working on uh, separately. Um, so it seems like I was kind of at the same opinion that the design team was, is that People of the Bloom is a cool idea. People who worship a flower knight in the Abyssal Woods, amazing, but it needed more fleshing out. Great minds think alike, after all. Yeah, yeah, all fools never differ. Yeah, uh, so are you guys ever going to play um, People of the Bloom on stream, or are you going to wait until Abyssal Woods comes out? I have a feeling we'll probably wait for Abyssal Woods just because we've got a few of the other campaigns still to go, uh, like the uh, People of the Sun campaign, for example. Um, I, I, I kind of agree that this is interesting, but there should be some more fleshed out, and it looks like that will be solved with uh, the Abyssal Woods. Yeah, exactly. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's other like variant campaigns I'd rather do, like People of the Skull or something like that. That would be fun. Oh yeah, People of the Skull is uh, is a lot of fun. Yeah, Seven Swordsman. Not as much fun, but uh, it's interesting. Like the campaign, uh, it's it's interesting to play with such limited resources and have those powerful bone swords. All right, so what else do we have to go over? We have been through all of the parts of this, so really we're kind of just at the point of just discussing how we feel about the Flower Knight. I've got a fair bit to say, but I'd love for you guys to talk about your thoughts first. So does one of you want to take it away? As you are, you're both very experienced with the Flower Knight, in my opinion. 
I'll, uh, I'll start out with this. Uh, the Flower Knight's very interesting. It adds uh, some nice content to the game. Um, some of the weapons feel under-fleshed out, or they're just fleshed out incorrectly, kind of like the uh, the Vespertine foil. Uh, it's got a good concept, but functionally it doesn't work that well. Uh, personally, I love playing with the Vespertine bow. Um, the fact that I haven't been able to play with any of the other bows in the game yet, I'm going to blame Josh a little bit for that one for not letting me use the resources. Uh, but uh, it's it's a big step up from the Catgut bow. Um, but I can definitely see where the Flower Knight expansion kind of makes the game a little too easy in some parts uh, by giving you kind of fairly substantial boosts, whether it be by uh, gear or the fighting arts that you get or some other stuff like that. Uh, so it's a nice introductory expansion to the game, I think. Uh, but as you start getting more experience with the game and delving deeper into the strategies and intricacies, uh, I'm not completely missing it by leaving it out uh, like we did in our current campaign. Uh, how about you, Josh? Yeah, I got to agree on that point. It's... It makes the game a lot easier. Like, I've never had difficulty fighting him. Even the level three wasn't difficult. There's a little bit of management, but like toughness wise, how hard he hit, it wasn't bad. Uh, I've never felt like it was a dire fight and that we were going to TPK or even come close to it. Um, and again, it's something like, I found we fight him like a handful of times because there's not like a lot of stuff to build up and make like all right we made the best protein bow and we made the arrow do we need anything else no all right we're good we don't have to really do anything unless we want to go fight like a level three to get a sleep of flyer uh sleeping fl- flower virus um so it kind of just kind of go after him a couple times get like the bow and then you're like all right i'm done i don't need to see this guy again bye yeah then how about you i know you're uh you've got a couple of opinions on this Okay, so on the whole, I think like physically the Flower Knight model is uh, stunning. It's one of the best like sculpts in the game. Like it's such a beautiful looking model. Thematically, it's on point. Uh, playing around with like impermanence, disorders, obsession. The themes are all superb. The ideas of the fight, fighting within the ring, the whole dance back and forth of pulling the flower knight in and out is great. Tactics cards are a fantastic addition. The Acanthus Doctor, as powerful as it is, is great because it's got so many different things you can do with the, the space on the build. I, and I love it to pieces, <sighs> but there's a lot like wrong with the expansion as well. So to kind of run through bits and pieces, um, I think the Flower Knight exists as a springboard for people who are struggling with the game. If you're having difficulties playing the game and doing well, then the Flower Knight is a fantastic expansion to add because it's going to make things easier for you to get towards later game content. That's a fine thing. The game should have something like that exist. And and it's taken me a while to get to that point, but I'm okay with that. Uh, I don't think anything in the Flower Knight expansion needs to be nerfed. I just think people who are more experienced should just kind of like walk away from it and be like, okay, that's I'm past that part of, of playing the game. And maybe I'll dip back into getting a Vespertine bow when I play against new expansions. Otherwise, you know, I might keep it as a safety net or to pick up fencing or, or true blade or just have it as part of the green armor expansion. 
as something to experience. Um, and it's sort of, so it's kind of like maybe baby's first expansion monster. And I want to say that's exactly what it was for us, right, Josh? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's nice to add in and experience it, uh, and use it as a way to get your feet wet into the more in-depth content of the game. But, uh, its usefulness kind of dies down once you get more experience. Yeah. So on top of that, like there's a lot of things that just sort of like the ability to spend four resources with pottery and gain otherworldly luck, which is incredibly powerful. Uh, the fact that you can easily craft multiple Vespertine bows very early on. Again, very, very powerful. That the ability to crit farm the flower knight who literally hands you luck tokens to help you crit farm him. Uh, to generate resources is like, it, it's very easy. You, you know, you, you can, you can take all 14 resources out of the Flower Knight's deck against the level one if he has Cocoon in his AI deck. As we talked about in the previous episode, Cocoon, basically the Flower Knight will sit there and heal up to full. And if you're looking to farm for resources, you can do that. And even the flowers in permanence isn't a problem given that you can take them to the stone circle to ritual them to basic resources. So the flower knights like this, if, if you wanted to really abuse the heck out of the flower knight, and when you play with the green armor expansion, it is definitely something you have to consider doing. But if, if you do, you can generate masses of resources, get fencing on a lot of people. You can get access to all sorts of really like um, cool, powerful secret fighting arts and ultimately, though, you're sort of going back to the same well over and over again because the other stuff isn't that great. The Vespertine Cello, as I mentioned, Harvester event is too much of a punish for anyone apart from those people who like the thrill of that. Oh, any moment I could lose this survivor because they're holding the cello um, and the others who are all holding instruments as well. You know, maybe you could do a party of one cello and three gorns. And you only risk one person being lost, but still. Uh, the, the foil, as I mentioned, is not great. The satchel is like, it's supposed to work with the foil, but it, it, because the foil's not great, it doesn't quite get there. Um, the, uh, the arrow is wonderful. Uh, I love that. I love the Flower Knight badge as well. Um, and the Sleeping Virus Flower is amazing. But then, as I said, People of the Bloom is nothing more than like a nice distraction kind of. But when I've played it, I get kind of, you're very limited. Like, you, you can't use White Line Armor at all because White Line Armor is based around red affinities and this cripples all the red affinities. It does some interesting things uh, in disabling stuff like the Zambato's Devastating isn't easily accessed. and that That's an interesting pathway. So People of the Bloom, when it's expanded into Abyssal Woods, is going to be potentially really exciting. As it stands right now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably not ever playing People of the Bloom again. And on the whole, I think the Flower Knight for me, originally I was like, this is like an 8 out of 10 expansion. It's kind of drifted down to about a 5 out of 10 expansion. I think it's kind of like it's a middling, average-ish expansion. I wouldn't touch it except for it being involved in green armor. It has had some great stuff. I've definitely loved having access to it. But I'm concerned with my own ability to really abuse the game to the level that I do that the Flower Knight like could just it'd be too much of a crutch so it's a great expansion but it's not like an essential I don't think it's one of the must have expansions except for people who are having trouble with the game um, I think the Gorm the Dragon King, the Sunstalk and the Dung Beetle Knight 
and the Slender Man are all better choices ahead of the Flower Knight, but I don't think anyone who buys it will ever really regret having it. So, yeah, that's kind of where I land on my positions with the Flower Knights. Like, there's some good stuff, there's some bad stuff. Um, I haven't repainted a new Flower Knight. I was, I've just not had a reason to because we've kind of stopped hunting it uh, unless we're playing with green armour. So, um, not my favourite expansion, but does have some of my favourite things in it. I would definitely echo that statement. Uh, not my favorite expansion, but I like a lot of the stuff within it, and it's fun to play with those things. So it's a reason to keep the Flower Knight around for sure. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has a place in the game. Um, as I said, I've mentioned a few of the tweaks I think that could be done. I think the Vespertine bow, if people did want to nerf it, and a lot of people talk about nerfing it, I don't think statistically it needs to be nerfed. I just think it needs to turn up later in the campaign. The best suggestion I've seen, and the one that I think would work, is you just say that you can't craft a Vespertine bow unless you've beaten the level 3 Flower Knight. And that's about the time when a Vespertine bow is about right in the power level, is around the time you beat a level 3, which is generally Lantern Year... Between Lantern Year 12 and 16, you can take on a level 3 and get away with it if you want to. So that that's that's all I would do um, to change Vespertine Bow. But personally, in my own campaigns, I don't even bother with that. I just I don't craft them and, unless I'm doing something special that needs the extra help. All right. So is there anything else that we need to cover this evening? And no, it's a uh, it's a, a pretty pretty model. It's a pretty expansion. Um, it's nearly one of the absolute greats. All right, so thank you all for joining us this evening. This is going to be the end of our Great Game Hunters podcast, uh, where we talk about the ins and outs of Kingdom Death, wrapping up the coverage with the Flower Knight. Uh, Join us for all of our upcoming stuff. Uh, When is going to be our next Great Game Hunters podcast, folks? That's to be determined where we have to look at our schedule. It might be a little bit um, as we have some stuff coming up the next few weeks. Okay, and uh, do we know what we're slated to talk about yet? Uh, well, we've just done a Nemesis monster, so we're going to go back to quarries. I'll let uh, you guys decide. Uh, do you want to do the Flower Knight or the Slender Man? Oh, sorry, the Lion Knight or the Slender Man? Ooh, the Lion Knight or the Slender That's a tough one. Uh, Josh, how about you? What's your, what's your question? What's your opinion there? I think we should do the Slender Man next. Oh, I'm glad. Yes, that's going to be great. So uh, it's going to be the Slender Man, Slendy Slendy. All right, and the best way to find out when the upcoming uh, Great Game Hunters podcast is is to follow us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, chat with us on our Discord channel. Uh, we are Twist Gaming. Uh, Fen, do you want to go ahead and pin your stuff now? Absolutely. You can catch me on uh, Instagram.com forward slash Fen Paints, where I sort of post whips. I'm currently working on a, uh, a Lion God that's taking forever and a day. Um, you should check it out, though. It's, um, very happy with it or um a lot of my stuff can be found on my patreon at www.patreon.com uh forward slash fen paints and i have my own little discord there you can follow the link and the page to join uh i've got a whole load of stuff i've just introduced some new patreon tiers where people can save up to uh, get money towards commissions so uh that's i've had a few people already quite interested in that uh and i'm always available for commissions um and you can contact me via my Patreon for those or via my Instagram. And that's it. All right. So, uh, Josh, what else do we have going on in our neck of the woods? Uh, we have our spotlight of Red Dragon in 7 on Monday. And uh, we have Twitch Place Kingdom Death. 7? The 7? Yeah, they're up to 7. 
Jeez, wow. There's a, there's a lot of people in this little tavern. I know. I, I've only played up to, like, two. It's a great game. Uh, I'm going to have to check the VOD on that for you guys playing seven. I'm looking forward to that. It's uh, all the staff. Six. We did six on Spotlight uh, a little while ago, and uh, that's a villain, so it plays all the baddies having a, a drink together. What's this one? Is this, like, all the minions, like the spods who normally get killed? It's all the staff. The, the, the staff of the bars. There's the... Uh, the wench, the uh, the bouncer, the bar owner. Oh, the wench. Tip the wench. All right. So uh, thank you all for joining us this evening. This is going to be Twist Gaming signing off. As usual, I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And I'm Fen. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye.